Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Greater Albuquerque Church of Christ, where we strive to discover and reflect the fullness of Christ together. We hope this sermon inspires and encourages you in your walk with Christ. And to learn more about our local church or to support us, please visit abqcoc.com. Well, uh, if you haven't been with us for a while, we're on a journey this year as a church uh, to learn how, how do we live the life to the full that Jesus promises with God? How do we become a people whose relationship with God is not just summed up with church attendance on Sunday or spending time with him here or there throughout the week, but, but how do we actually become a people who abide in God's presence day in and day out? How do we become a people who experience him at work, with our families, when we're out with our friends, who live our whole lives with God? And so last week, we wrapped up our with series by looking at the parable of the great treasure, that God and his kingdom are actually the greatest and most valuable treasure that we could ever have. We need to be reminded of that continually, which is why we must strive to do our best collectively and individually to put the full glory of Jesus on display. So our aim as a church and our aim in small groups and in our homes must be to over and over again show how amazing God is so that we can desire him and we can help others desire and treasure him as well. And we finished last week with talking about our first uh, daily discipleship exercise that, that that we remind ourselves of the treasure that is Christ through things called spiritual disciplines, through daily weekly, and continual practices that bring us back to treasuring God. These are daily practices like reading our Bible, prayer, worship, reflection, taking a walk in nature, practicing gratitude, uh, things that help remind us of how amazing God is. Weekly practices like practicing the Sabbath or silence and solitude or special times with God. And then continual small things throughout our days like alarms that remind us to pray Or using our drive time to just realign with God or taking breaks at work just to reconnect with God's presence with us. So these that that was part one of our daily discipleship series. Our with series was to paint a picture for what we're aiming for and the motivation behind that. And this series is much more of the how. What are the basics or the essentials that we need to put into practice regularly to experience that life with God we talked about for the past five weeks. Not as a means to earn anything or to check any box, but as a means of feeding and nourishing our connection to God so we can experience the treasure that Jesus promises. So we talked about last week how how Lent began on Wednesday, and I encourage you to pick some spiritual practices to try out to help you connect with and treasure with God. So I hope you did that. If not, we've got some of those extra worksheets. I also put them in the show notes of our, uh, of our podcast that you can listen to if you didn't get to do that, also on our website. Um, so you can go through that handout to help you come up with a couple of spiritual practices to help you in the next 40 days. Um, and this daily discipleship series, it might seem basic to some of us, but the basics are often what makes or breaks us. Um, let me give you an example. I want you to raise your hand if you've ever tried to learn another language. Get them up if you tried to learn another language. Whether you're in school or as an adult, keep your hand up high if you were successful in doing that. Like, like if today you're proficient in two languages. Yeah, not many of you. Um, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the boat that my hand goes up with I've tried, and you know what? It didn't work out. Um, you, you can all lower your hands. Keep. 
Do you know how long it takes to become proficient in a second language? Over two years. Ooh, good guess. Um, so the U.S. Foreign Institute has been studying this for over 70 years. And they say for languages similar to English, like Spanish or French, it'll take you about three to 400 hours of practice to be proficient. Wow. Um, for languages with a different al alphabet, like Farsi uh, or Mandarin, uh, you, you're gonna need more like six to 700 hours. And so when you hear that, that might sound completely overwhelming to you, but if you break it down, if you practice for 30 minutes a day, like somebody said out there, you would be an intermediate, proficient Spanish speaker in just two years. Like you'd be able to go to Honduras and get by, like have conversations, do what you need to do and be just fine. 30 minutes a day for two years. Honestly, that's pretty incredible. Things, things that seem really challenging, like learning a language, or learning an instrument, or programming, or woodworking, or even running a marathon, they're, they're actually not that complex. The key is just being consistent with the basics. Yeah. Consistently practicing over a long period of time. Yeah. You know, it's amazing to think about the capacity God has given us to learn, and to grow, and to actually change as people. But we have to understand that that process takes time, and a dedication to doing the basics. This is a uh, chart from the book Atomic Habits. If you can't see it very well, I'll explain it. Uh, it's called Latent Potential. And this illustrates that when we start working towards something, towards really anything, our progress, we, we think our progress should match our input. So let's say you, you want to start learning a second language and you start practicing 30 minutes a day. Um, we think that this is the line of our, our, our time we put in to the results we experience. Like, it's going to be proportional. But what actually happens is you get this curve. Like, at the beginning, you don't see much progress. You don't really grow much at all. And so that, this is the lag period before we see the results. And what most people do in that time, it's called the valley of disappointment. Man, we get discouraged. We started the diet, and it's like, we're like two weeks in, we're like, man, I've lost like half a pound. Like, I give up, you know? I know like five Spanish words, I give up. Like, um, that's what we do. But the key is when we stick with it, with it, what actually happens is we see exponential growth in the results over time. So you actually get this curve of where your practice over a long period of time pays off exponentially. But you've got to make it to that point. You've got to make it to that point. And I show you this because we have to have a realistic view of our own spiritual transformation. Experiencing the life we've been talking about of love and of fullness in the presence of God does not happen in a day or a week or even a month. And so in this series, we're going to go through four basic biblical habits or practices that I guarantee you, if you do consistently, will transform you from the inside out. But you're not going to experience those results right away. You have to stick with it. Not even, maybe six months you'll start to be seeing it. A year. I mean, but you go a year, three years, five years from now, you will be a completely different person. Way more like Jesus than you are now. Your connection with God will be exponentially greater than it is right now. And so we need to put these in practice and we need to have this long-term view. So last week was the first essential, which is just spending time with God. This week, we're talking about the second, which is becoming like Jesus. 
I want you to open your Bible to 2 Peter 1, but that's actually not the first scripture we're going to go to, but I'm going to need you to be there to read with me here in a bit. Um, the first scripture we're going to go to is here in Matthew chapter 4, and it's on the screen. And I'll read this out of the ESV. Matthew 4 verse 18 says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. So last week, I used the analogy of marriage a lot. Life with God is often like a marriage. There's similar principles that apply to the health and the flourishing of both kinds of relationships. But a marriage analogy falls short of what life with God is actually like in some ways. And and the main way is this idea of apprenticeship. You see, the invitation to life with God is an invitation to follow Jesus. This passage is an account of Jesus calling his first disciples to be with him through following him as his apprentices. Jesus has given us the same invitation. So yes, in many ways, we're united to God like we are in a marriage through Jesus, But but in other ways, our relationship with God is much more like an apprentice to a master than it is a marriage. Um, I actually get to work in a field where apprenticeship is practiced and essential for my job. Uh, Many of you do the same. Maybe you're in the healthcare field, or you're a teacher, or postdoc, or you interned as an engineer. Um, you, You had to go through a season where you apprentice to someone who's ahead of you to be able to do the work you need to do. And so the way I learned to study the Bible with others was by watching Josh do it. I did it with him, and then he watched me do it and gave me feedback. We'd, you know, talk before, we'd debrief after. Um, I was his apprentice. I learned to preach the same way. I watched him do it, and then I tried to do it myself. He would coach me up before and after. It was this doing together how I learned. The cool thing about that, though, is, is it's also relationally bonding. You, you grow in relationship as you do a task together. And it, this past year, it's been so cool to do that with our interns. So teaching them to pray, teaching them to share our faith on campus, helping them to help others know Jesus. It's been cool to be in the mentor role and to have them apprentice under us. And through this process, they've become some of our best friends. But what would the dynamic be like if Cameron and TC were like, you know what? I'm kind of good. I don't really want to go share my faith with you and watch you do that. Like, I'm good learning from you in the Bible studies. Um, Or even if they joined me, but they weren't really interested in learning from me. Well, they'd probably lose their jobs. But besides that, there'd be a relational rift, right? It wouldn't just affect their professional life. There'd be a relational disconnect. We wouldn't be close. An apprentice-mentor relationship is unique because... You're relationally growing at the same time as you're doing something together. Both are essential for the relationship. So yes, Jesus wants to be with us and he loves us. Like I love just hanging out with Cameron and TC. But yes, Jesus is also actively building his kingdom. And he invites us to do that with him. Jesus spent his time on earth healing and loving and teaching and caring. And that's what he is still doing and invites us to follow him to do that with him as well. And if we aren't intentional in doing that and in learning from Jesus, it's going to hurt our connection and experience of Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
And so to experience the fullness of life with God, we have to have the conviction to daily become more and more like Jesus. So 2 Peter 1 is going to be our main text for this morning. We're going to camp out here for most of our time. So open up with me. I'm going to need to point some things out to you that I want you to look at. And we're going to start in verse 3. All right, 2 Peter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control. And to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. Amen. Okay, if you were here last week, remember we read Colossians 1, and I talked about how Paul is reminding the Christians of the supremacy of Jesus, how great God's love is, of the power of the gospel, even though they already knew it. And look at what Peter says in verse 12, that last verse we read. He says, I'm going to always remind you of these things, even though you know them. So again, we've stumbled upon a foundational truth that we need to be reminded of over and over again. And so we're going to walk back through this and say, what is it, Peter, that you need us to hear again and again? And it starts in verse 3 and 4 with a reminder of the good news. Peter does an abbreviated version of the gospel. But here's what he says. He says, God has given us everything we need for a godly life through him calling us to his own glory and goodness. So brother or sister, God has called you to be with him because of his own goodness. Because he is full of love and because he is merciful, God wants to be with you, not necessarily because of you, but because of who he is. And this is amazing news because it doesn't depend on us. Our behavior, how our week went, it depends on our immovable, unshakable, faithful God who is good, as Peter says. So we have this incredible God who calls us to himself and gives us full access. The Bible says that we are actually invited into the very throne room of God through the blood of Jesus. And because of that access, Peter writes, we have all that we need for a godly life. Man, everything you and I need has been given to us through God, through our knowledge of him, the passage says. That word knowledge, almost always in the Bible, is not like a cognitive knowledge, like a knowing about. It's an experiential knowing. Like, I know you because we hang out. So he's not saying that we have all we need because we know about God, because we've showed up at church, but because we've experienced the living God. Because we know him relationally. And how true is that? Like when we walk close with God, 
Isn't our life full? Don't we realize, man, I have everything I need through you, God. You, you, You will provide for me. Like our worries melt away. The distractions fade. Man, we, we, we experience the power that we need. We experience the wisdom we seek. We have the right focus and purpose and fulfillment. And we trust that the king of the universe is going to take care of me, so I don't need to worry about all this stuff. I'm free to seek the greater things of the kingdom of God because the king of the universe watches over me. Amen. That's what life is like. That's what, what he's saying. We have all that we need through God. And then he says in verse four, God has given us his great and precious promises. So not only do we have all we need through our access to God, there's also magnificent promises that lie ahead of us. Let me name a few. Romans eight says that nothing could ever separate you from the love of God. No tragedy or sin or failure could change how God feels about you. Romans eight says you are a conqueror through Christ. Philippians 1 also tells us that God is going to finish the good work he started in you. God won't give up on you. He's going to do his part to bring you to glory. And that's an incredible promise, isn't it? How about the promise of the return of Jesus? That one day our king is going to come back and make all things new. That he will defeat death. He will wipe away kidney failure. He will remove evil. All tears will be washed away. And he's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. Man. That those who have been faithful to him will resurrect to eternal life. Man, Man there, there are incredible promises that lie before us. Those are just a few. But through our access to God and through these promises that are still in, in store for us, verse 4 says this ex- empowers us to experience and participate in the divine nature. Participate in the divine nature. The first few times I read that, I remember thinking like, what does that even mean? Like the divine nature. The Greek word for participate is a derivative of koinonia, where some of you have gotten married here in town. (laughs) But that, that word literally means fellowship or belonging to. So it's you become somebody who belongs and has fellowship with Theos, which, which, is, which is the word for divine. It it's literally can just mean God or God's essence or character. So if you put that together, Peter's saying we can grow to become people who can experience God's divine presence and character every day. Man, we should be in awe first that God saved us and called us to himself, as verse 3 says, but we should also be excited about the promises and potential that still lies before us. Like there is so much more for us in this life and and all through eternity. And Peter calls that participating in the divine nature and escaping the corruption of this world. And then let's go to verse five. He says, for this very reason, Because of everything I just said, that we have the opportunity to experience God, we have his promises, we have the divine nature. For that reason, make every effort. Every effort. Give your best. Give your whole heart. Leave it all on the line. To do what? To be virtuous and righteous. Make every effort to fill your mind and heart with the knowledge of Jesus. Make every effort to be self-controlled so that your desires and your whims won't control you. 
Make every effort to be a godly man or a godly woman. Make every effort to love deeper and deeper. It's not an extensive list, but Peter is clear on his point. Make every effort to become like Jesus. You have the treasure before you. Now give everything you've got to pursuing it. Don't waste what God has given you. Make every effort, church. Man, so many Christians waste what God has given them. And they fail to experience the promises that lie before them. And often it's because of a failure of intentionality and focus and effort. We, I mean, we live in a weak sauce Christian culture that is often opposed to any sort of effort. It's where, where false gospels, like, hey, you can just be saved through a prayer and that's it. And you'll just go to heaven one day. Like, man, that is garbage. Make every effort, Peter says. It should be clear to everyone around us that we are Christians because we're so intentional in pursuing becoming like Jesus Christ. Man, it's clear to others when you're trying to get in shape or get fit, isn't it? Yeah. It's clear when you really care about a sports team. Yeah. It's clear when you're picking up a new hobby. But is it clear to those around you that you are pursuing Jesus? Oh, yeah. Come on, Man, some of us need to get back in the game yeah. of trying to become like Christ. Yeah. We got to shake off the rust yeah. <laughs> and put in the effort that's required for true discipleship. And we have talked about the incredible grace of God. And this in no way takes away from that. It is only by God's grace that we can do this. It's only by his grace that we will finish the race. But it still requires our intentional effort. Dallas Willard has this great quote. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. And there's a big difference. We don't strive to earn something. We put in the effort because we've been freely given. We put in the effort as a love response towards what God has done for us. We put in the effort because we want to experience the promises that lie before us. We don't want to miss out on those. And look, like, I mean, I've, I've been there. I've been at a spot where that's not me. That doesn't describe me. Over my last 13 years of discipleship, I've been distracted. I've been disheartened. I've been focused more on school or myself or what I want than pursuing Jesus. But I know what it's like to make every effort. I mean, to begin my day with like, God, I need you. I want to be like you. Holy Spirit, help me. I can't do it without you. Like, help me love my kids like you would have me help them. Help me love them and be patient with them like you would. At work, Jesus, I need you. Help me to love like you and be like you. Help me to consider my wife above myself. Just every part of every day, Jesus, I want you. I need you. Help me. And that, and that is hard work. Yeah, 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 yeah. The days that I'm focused on that, though, are always my best days. They're by far the most rewarding. Come on, I mean. And yes, I go to bed tired because I was aiming at something, but I also go to bed fulfilled. Those are the days I'm aware of God with me. When I experience that partnership with him of doing something together, building his kingdom, pushing back evil, becoming like Jesus. I'm full of joy in those days. Man, I'm actually present and engaged. I, I could see people. But when I'm going through the motions, and I still have a lot of those days, 
when I'm more focused on building my own life or my bank account or whatever else, then I don't even like myself those days. Like I'm irritable. I'm impatient. I'm selfish. I'm arrogant. I, I put my kids to bed. I'm like, oh, thank God that's over. And I think like, what's wrong with me? Like I wasn't even present with them. And then I kind of feel like this third person, like I'm just watching my life go by and not even fully engaged in it. And that path might be easier, but there's no divine nature in that path. So church, so much hangs on our daily decision to carry our cross, put to death our flesh, and make every effort to be like Jesus. And maybe you're thinking like, man, that sounds hard. And it is. But nothing worth, worthwhile in life is ever easy. It will require grit and effort and self-denial. But you, you have to ask yourself, what kind of man or woman am I going to be? Like, go ahead, choose, choose what's easy. Choose what's comfortable and then map out the next 10 or 20 years of your life if you continue to do that. Is that who you want to be? Is that the life that God has for you? Are you going to look back and be like, man, that was, that was great. Man, it's not easy, but it's the only path that's worth it. Yeah. Or maybe you're thinking, yeah, but, but what if I fail? Mm. Wow. Or maybe you feel like, man, I've tried that before and it was a mess. Mm. Surprise alert, you will fail. <laughs> I will fail. You will make a complete mess of this. You're going to say, okay, today, Jesus, I'm going to love like you today. And then your kid's going to throw a fit and you're going to lose it and be like, oh, like, okay, like rewind. Jesus, I need you. Forgive me. Like, or, you know, you get, okay, Jesus, I'm going to be patient today. I'm going to be a light. And you're going to go into work. And then the first person that walks in your office is that guy. Like, you know exactly who I'm talking about right now. That guy that takes every ounce of your patience. And your intention is just going to fly right out the window. And look, like, you will hurt people. You'll be imperfect. God already knows that. Jesus covers not only for your past sins, but your future ones as well. So the question is not, will you fail? But is it, will you get back up? Will you allow failure to teach you and mold you and continue to help you make every effort? Or will Satan use that to get you to stop trying? Peter doesn't say, hey, here's a list, nail it. Like, he says, make every effort to be like Jesus in these ways. It's a a direction you're heading, not a destination. Brene Brown gives this great analogy. She says it's like the North Star. Like, you know when you're heading in the right direction, but you never arrive. That's a lot like trying to be like Jesus. Like, you know when you're heading in the right direction. You experience it, you feel it, but you're never like, man, I got there. But that doesn't mean we don't try. We must accept failure as part of the process, and we got to know that we're going to need help and give every effort anyways. Or lastly, maybe you're thinking, okay, that sounds good, but nobody's helping me. Honestly, this is one of my favorite excuses. I mean, nobody's pouring into me. Okay, we all need help. We do. I need help. You need help. We all need spiritual friends. We all need mentors, and we're we're not going to make it without them. 
But here's the thing. Your decision to be like Jesus does not depend on anyone else but you. Philippians 1.27 says, whatever happens, I'm going to repeat that. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens. And I'm not making light of anything that's happened. Like, I mean, some of us have experienced some hard things. But the call is still to make every effort and conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. It does not excuse you out of this. Others are not an excuse for not obeying Jesus. They can make it harder and messier. I get that. But you're going to give an account to Jesus for you. Not for them. Blaming is not an option on that day. And so look at me, church. We all feel busy. Everybody feels tired. Life is always going to be hard. It's always going to be messy. You will fail. But at the end of the day, we have to decide if Jesus is worth it. And if we really want to participate in this divine nature that he promises, we have to decide that and then give it all we got. Amen? Because here's at risk if we don't. Look at verse 9. But whoever does not have them, referring to the characteristics he just mentioned to pursue, whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. If we get in a habit of not doing our best to be like Jesus every day, we will lose our way. He says you will be blind, forgetting that you've been cleansed. Like how far do we have to fall to forget the miracle of the cross and resurrection in our lives? To forget the love of our father. And maybe some of us are already there. But you don't get to that place overnight. Like it's a slow drift. That's why it's so dangerous. Then all of a sudden you get to a spot where you're not connected and you're bitter and you're unhappy and you slip back into old patterns and you're like, I don't, I don't even know how I got here. Yeah, yeah. Often it's because you stopped making every effort. Yeah. You backslid. And the good news, if that's you, even if you've been drifting for a decade, God can bring you back. Yeah. He hasn't given up on you. Yeah. But you have to make the decision to make a change. Yeah. And then verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, what does he say again? Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It says, therefore, which means, again, because this is so important, make every effort. To do what? To confirm your calling and election. God has given it to you. Now make it a reality in your life. Like you don't accidentally experience life with God. You won't accidentally finish your race and enter eternity. It will be be 100% because of God's love and mercy and 100% because you chose to stay on the path. I want to say something to us here. Like, we live in a culture that, that has, has, has put forward this doctrine that, hey, once saved, always saved. Like, you, 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 it's all 100% by grace. And it takes it so far to where, like, we have zero responsibility. Yeah. Come on, I mean. 
Like the Bible's clear. You've got to finish the race. Yes, God will always love you. Yes, he's always faithful. Yes, he will always do his part. Yes and amen. But we've got to hear Peter's warnings here. They're clear. You've got to finish your race. And again, God does not require perfection from us, but it's perseverance in that daily following Jesus. And Peter says, if you do, you will never stumble. And if you do, you will receive a rich welcome. A rich welcome. Can you imagine what that would be like? Like God calls you home and you see him. Like you see Jesus for the first time and there's a smile on his face. And he opens his arms to you and he says, welcome home. Well done, my son. Well done, my daughter. Come and share in my joy. Take your seat at the banquet table. You are home. Not because you earned it, but because you didn't give up. On that day, no sacrifice that you made in this life will compare to the riches of being in the full presence of Jesus. So we've got to find a way as a church, and this can be tricky. We've got to find a way to uphold the high expectations of this chapter while also upholding the greatness of God's grace while having our trust and motivation in the right place. Okay? High expectations, high grace, with our trust and motivation in the right place. The command is every effort. The standard of discipleship is high, but it's 100% reliant on God's grace and trusting that he will do it in us. We do it from a place of love and a desire to be with God, not because we're not enough and we feel like we need to earn it. But we also don't swing swing the pendulum to the other side of watering down the standards because it's hard. So how do we actually do this? How do we make every effort to be like Jesus? There's, there's a couple of simple ways I've found that really help me. And the first is this. It's, it's as easy as praying and asking God, okay, God, what characteristic of Jesus do you want me to try and grow in right now? Like Peter listed all these different things. You, you really can't try and focus on them all at once, but picking one and being like, okay, God, what is it that I can grow in to be more like Jesus right now? And then it's asking the people around you, this is where it gets a little scary, ask the people around you, hey, how do you think I can grow to be more like Jesus? And then people around you gently and lovingly speaking the truth. Hey, asking the guys in your small group, hey man, how, how can I be more like Jesus? Asking your wife, hey, how, how can I be more like Jesus? So I asked that question at the beginning of this year to my wife, and I kind of knew what was coming. And she was like, yeah, she had an answer. She was ready. Um, Kindness, kindness. You can be more kind like Jesus in the home. And she's right. Like I, I can get a business mode. I can be tired at home and be short and irritable and sharp and, you know, not gentle and patient with my kids like, like Jesus would be. So I was like, amen, that's it. Kindness, I prayed about it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna grow in, in being kind like Jesus this year. And so the next thing is, is you study it out. You, you, it's incredible to look at the scriptures about God's loving kindness. Like Ephesians 2, the riches of his kindness towards us. And then you pick a scripture or two to memorize. And you say, okay, I'm going to grow in kindness. Internalize it. You say it over and over again. And what that does is it allows the Holy Spirit to bring that scripture up for you all throughout the day. You're in a moment where you're feeling impatient with your kids, and you remember God's loving kindness. The scripture pops in your head, and you're like, okay, amen, God, help me. 
And then you pray for this every day. All right, God, help me be kind today. Help me grow in kindness today. And you do a simple reflection at the end of the day. Okay, God, how'd it go? Or the next morning, God, how'd it go yesterday? And none of this requires much time, actually. Like, reflection takes two minutes at the end of the day. I've been taking a shower at night, and I just think about, okay, God, how'd it go? And I think over my interactions with my kids and my wife, and I often have to confess my lack of kindness. um, And I say, okay, how how can I be more like you tomorrow, Jesus? Please help me to be kind like you. Then lastly, you just ask for some accountability and help. Like I've asked my kids, hey guys, I know daddy can be a little harsh sometimes. Can you help me to be kind? Can you pray for me? Can you tell me when you feel like I'm not kind with you? We have this phrase in our house when we're losing self-control that says catch the lion. And, it's, and it's, it honestly is, is so helpful when my five-year-old says, daddy, catch the lion. And I'm like, oh man, my five-year-old discipling me. Um, it's helpful. You ask the people in your small group, hey, I'm trying to grow in this. Can you pray for me? Can you ask me how it's going? And I mean, this is honestly how I run all of my discipling groups. Like we just, every week, hey, how are we doing? How's it going loving God? Hey, how's it going with that one thing you're trying to grow in? How'd that go this week? How can we encourage you in that next week? And you don't see progress in a week or two, but in a matter of months or even a year, people are transformed. Through the Holy Spirit and through our intentional effort, man, radical transformation happens and we become like Jesus and we can actually experience that divine nature in us and through us every day. And so this is week two of daily discipleship. Make every effort to become like Jesus. I want to ask you to do this this week, to pray and ask God, how can I, what's one way I can pursue being like you? And then try and map out this process. And then you have a daily pattern that you can do every day to be growing, to be more like Jesus. This is one way, not the way, but I hope it really helps you. And to conclude our time today, we're going to take communion. And as we take communion, I want to encourage us to remember verse 3 and 4, that God has called us by his own glory and goodness, to remember the promises he's called us to, and that it's all through Jesus that we have that opportunity. But also let us examine our hearts. Like, how's it been going making every effort recently? And asking God how we can grow. Amen? Pray with me.